our world is in trouble. Society is full of noise, darkness, and distraction. Where do you go to find the hope and the strength to cope with such a mess? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Alexander the Great once said, I am not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I am afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format. And we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is the subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, have you lost faith in your spiritual leaders? And our theme text is found in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and 44. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Okay, so again, the question, have you lost faith in your spiritual leaders? You know, leadership is a key to success in almost every part of life. When it's done well, those being led not only engage, they have a tangible opportunity to grow and even be transformed. When done poorly, those who should be led can become apathetic and lazy and directionless. Now, we need to be careful to not confuse one who truly leads with a manager, somebody who simply keeps the wheels turning, or we want to want to confuse it also with a motivational speaker, one who excites thought but rarely incites action. Real leadership is a hybrid of these things and so much more. Now, when it comes to spiritual leadership, the stakes are much higher, and unfortunately, the results are often really, really disappointing. The Bible clearly teaches us what spiritual leadership is supposed to look like, and what it teaches actually may be shocking to most of us. So, Jonathan, today it's all about spiritual leadership, and frankly, what's wrong with it these days, and it seems like there's a lot of evidence that there's a lot of things wrong with it. That's true, Rick. So, folks, coming up in today's podcast, there are actually six practices that any great leader engages in. And this is really fascinating stuff. We're going to take these practices one by one, see how they work and how they apply to Christianity. Christian leadership, according to the Bible, is very different than what we are used to seeing. And I want to really stress that. It's very different, sometimes shockingly different. So we're going to specifically show how it's different according to the Bible, and why it's supposed to be different. Further, we're going to talk about the the fact that every leader has to do the tricky job of evaluating and keeping others in line. And, you know, when you have to be critical of others, always, always, always difficult. So we're going to talk about how to do that in the context of our Christian faith. But first, the question that we have to start with is, what's the model for biblical leadership, and how are we supposed to actually choose our Christian leaders. And Jonathan, if we can get the model right, we know what the model is based on, and then we know how we're supposed to go about finding the leaders. We've won already a big part of the battle of leadership. Absolutely. So to best understand leadership, we want to look at 
three different things. We're going to look at bad scriptural examples. Then we're going to look at sound leadership practices, those six practices we talked to you about. And then we're going to look at God's leadership design for Christians. See, God has, this is the good news. God has a design for Christian leadership. He's got it laid out carefully and precisely. The question is, do we know what it is? Or do we just kind of follow along with what's kind of in front of us? So those are the three things we're going to be talking about each segment. Bad scriptural examples, sound leadership practices, and God's leadership design for Christians. But first, let's take a look at leadership in the Bible um, early on. It was known as shepherding. And who was the example in that shepherding? God. And how do you know that? Well, in Psalm 77.20, it says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You led your people like a flock. And it says you had your sort of your under shepherds, Moses and Aaron, but God was their shepherd. There's some interesting um, commentary about shepherds and leadership from the Old Testament. From John Gill, Jonathan, let's go through just a few lines of that. And with the Greeks, to call kings shepherds, and one and the same word in the Greek language signifies to feed sheep, to govern people. Also, their ecclesiastical governors are intended prophets, priests, Levites, scribes, and Pharisees. These were bad shepherds, or they would not have been prophesied against. And though they were shepherds of Israel, this must be done. So the interesting thing that he starts out with is with the Greeks to call the kings were called shepherds. And I and I'm fascinated by that. I never realized that before. So the idea of a king was one who took care of the flock, who fed it, who nourished it, who protected it and did all of those good things. And then he says, well, you did have a lot of bad shepherding in Israel's history. And we're going to use that bad shepherding as an example and see how it applies to potentially bad shepherding today within Christianity. So let's get started. Remember, three three aspects to each segment. First, the bad uh, practice example. Uh, next will be the sound leadership principle and then God's leadership design. So, Jonathan, what's the bad practice example? Where is it coming from? Well, what did these shepherds see as their objectives? Okay, so these shepherds, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you that question when you re- finish reading these first couple of verses. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 10, but we're going to take it throughout the five segments of the program today. So let's read verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Now, Rick, is this just talking about the shepherds in Israel, or is there a bigger context for us? Well, you know, I I think that the fact that God is the original shepherd and that Christians are talked about, those who lead, as being shepherds as well, and you had the shepherds of Israel in between— then you got to put it all together. And what can go wrong, or what I should, let me rephrase that, what did go wrong in the Old Testament with the shepherding are the same things that can and do go wrong with the shepherding within Christianity. So yeah, that's why this is such an important example, 
because a shepherd is an important uh, uh, institution in God's leading of people. So yeah, absolutely. I think it all, it all goes together. And Rick, all that accept that leadership position of elders or pastors are to some extent representing the Lord, who is the great shepherd of the flock. Right, right. So that should be the attitude. And, that, and that's a scary thing. You know, if you're re- representing the Lord by your shepherding, how are you doing? <laughs> so this is, this is a, one of those what we often call a mirror program. If, if you are in a position of leadership as we go, to go through these things, it's a good thing to have a mirror right in front of you. Now, I don't have a mirror, Jonathan, neither do, do you, but we do have a video conferencing. We can see our faces. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so it's kind of like looking in a mirror almost. <laughs> and Rick, I was trying to understand when the verse said feeding themselves. It, to me, it sounded like self-intellectual uh, learning uh, one with another and kind of looking at the common folk like, ah, they'll never get it. Um, you know, I hope that that is not uh, what's behind leadership in Christianity today. And, and so, and, and that really is the summation of that question. What did these shepherds see as their objective? It was sort of to be comfortable and, and to kind of look down upon the sheep as uh, they're just sheep. What are you worried about? They're just sheep. It's okay. And so there's this arrogance that you have to be careful of. And, and Rick, they're, they're honored, they're revered, and yeah. they have titles. So that kind of makes them feel above Sure. The fray. Yeah, with, with when you got the title, when you've got the honor, when you've got the finances, you know, you tend to act like you're different than everybody else. But the question is, is a shepherd different than everybody else? So the bad practice example here is coming from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. And the first point is, God says he's condemning Old Testament shepherding of his people. And he's saying, you're feeding yourselves, not your flock. That's the first warning flag here. So to counteract that, let's go to some sound leadership practice. And the first thing I want to, the point I want to make, we're going to be going to some, uh, a, a YouTube video from uh, Brendan Burchard. This is awesome stuff. The, 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 the video is What Great Leaders Actually Do. And he gives six leadership practices. And the first thing I want to state is that a leadership practice is not a leadership step. Some things might come before others, but a practice means that you have to always do it. So you can't just sort of implement it, then forget it. So these are six leadership practices. Let's listen to what he says the first one is. The the first E of these six E's is envision. Great leaders envision a compelling and different and vibrant future than what is here. They have an alternative, clear view of what the world could be like tomorrow than it is today, right? They have a shared purpose. They believe that they and others would be compelled by, interested, inspired by, and want to work towards. And that's a big deal. And you always read about it in leadership, right? You have to have vision. I mean, it's biblical. Where there is no vision, people perish, right? We, we know the power of having that vision. So you have to sit down, though, and actually do it. The reason we say envision versus just have a vision it's, you have to sit, it's a, it's a practice of envisioning what should tomorrow look like for my team. So the first leadership practice is to be able to envision what things should look like for those that you lead. And this is a very sound principle. And I'm, I'm glad he quoted, partially quoted that scripture, you know, where there is no vision, the people perish. The word for perish actually means become unraveled. 
Oh wow! Yeah, that's and, interesting. And, and it kind of it, it kind of uses the illustration of a braid becoming undone. You know, in a braid, when it's done, it's solid and it's really strong. But when a braid becomes undone, it's all frazzled and 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 the hair is just it, it's out of order. And so you need vision to keep things in order. So this is God's leadership design. We're going to focus this next portion on what God's leadership design is with this envision thinking behind it. So what was God's vision for the true followers of Christ? Context in the next verse is Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. This is Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Okay, a lot of pieces in here. First of all, let's figure out. It says when they had ordained them elders in every church. When we hear that word in the context of today's Christianity, it gives you a very specific picture in your mind of somebody being ordained by the church. You know, by being, leaders. Yes, yeah. but being appointed and sort of handed down. But mm-hmm. is that what this word ordained actually means? No, Rick. It actually means to be a hand reacher or voter. By raising the hand, that is generally to select or appoint. Okay, so the point of the word is to be someone who is voting. So now the question is, who's voting? So Jonathan, in, in, in these verses, who, who are the decision makers with this leadership thing? Well, I would believe that it's those that know everyone in their congregation. And so... Let's go through some bullet points on this, uh, and, and and you know, with the word for ordained being a hand reacher and a voter, our our premise is that it's the those of the congregation that were doing the voting along with Paul and Barnabas. Okay, there's much more on this in Seeker Rewind, the bonus material. So uh, you want to be able to check that out. It's available at ChristianQuestions.com. Three bullet points, Jonathan, on this. This ordaining is by definition a process of electing by the will of those to be represented. Okay, that's important. You know, and it kind of reminds you of the, the, the principles of the United States of America. We are supposed to duly elect leaders by the will of the people. That's the point of it. That's the way it's supposed to be in Christianity as well. What's the next point? The process here indicates that individuals from within the congregation were those considered. Okay, so it also indicates that the those who would be leaders came from within, not appointed from some other high and mighty place from without. That's important as well, and that's what seems to be saying here in Acts. What's the third point? This was a serious matter as those chosen were prayerfully put into service. You know, and Jonathan, when we look at how this worked in the early church, I want to go back to the verse. It says that they preached the gospel in in, in that city and taught many, and then they returned again to places they had already been. So in other words, Paul and Barnabas sowed seeds of the gospel, went to all these different places, then came back again. And it says when they came back again, that's when this process happened. So what, what what does that tell you about this whole thing? The leaders kind of stood out. The ones that were trying to rally the congregations, show them 
the path that they were taught by Paul previously. So it kind of gave them time to develop and, and you know, see where where everybody stood. So it's an interesting process that we don't normally see in a lot of churches, because in a lot of churches, leadership is appointed from someplace else, and they're dropped into you. Paul and Barnabas were the ones who dropped in as temporary leaders until the local leadership could develop. That's the way we think it worked in the New Testament. So what's our first leadership practice? Christian leadership is fashioned after God's own example. We are instructed to find it from within our fellowship. It does not come from an outside source. Okay. Now that can be, you can be sitting there saying, what, 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 time out. Well, think about the early church, and what we don't see in the early church is we don't see the apostles bringing many, many brothers to these different places and leaving them there. Some came to visit for a while and then left, and then they had to have the leadership from within. That's the way the early Christian church actually had its beginning with leadership. So far, Christian leadership is specific. Do what God does and choose from your own gathering. With a clear vision of spiritual leadership in place, how do you go about getting it to actually work? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. The most important factors in leadership come from both those who lead and those who are led. If a leader does not have the faith of their followers to step out and step up, then their leadership attempts end up as merely exercises and not actual leadership accomplishments. And, and Jonathan, I just want to give a give an example of that. And and I, it's an example, folks. So don't take this literally, okay? Because I can just see it now. Rick says Christians are all dogs. Because here's, here's, here's my <laughs> example, okay? You can have two people who each have a dog, and they both go out and they walk their dog. Now, one person is out there walking their dog. The other person may out be actually be out there training their dog as they walk them. They're training them to stop and, and heal and do all of the things that you train a dog to do. But they look like they're the same. You see, if you're not actually leading, then you're just out taking a walk. Because you know, you're just kind of sauntering around. The idea is to be walking with purpose and bringing others with you. So let's go to a bad practice example uh, back to Ezekiel chapter 34, we're going to be re- reading verses 3 and 4, and, and Jonathan, the question for this little section of scriptures uh, on, on this, these bad leaders is, what did the shepherds accomplish by their shepherding? Well, so what did they end up with? Ezekiel 34, 3 and 4. You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back to, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. So what are these shepherds accomplishing in all of this? Whoa. Well, <laughs> well to me, there, there's several points. I think five. Who are the sickly? How about those that are spiritually sick? They're not helping them. 
How about the diseased? What happens if there's mental or emotional difficulties with the, some of the the congregation? They're not taking care of their their needs. What about the broken? Say trials just paralyzed them. Mm-hmm. It just brought them to a point where they couldn't move. They didn't help them. The scattered, well, they were leaderless. That's why they scattered. Right. But the ones that are lost, they just left because not, this is not for me. So basically what's happening here is with force and with severity, they dominated over the flock. And like you said, in those five very specific instances, did not care for them. And, and God, you can see, God in this, in speaking through Ezekiel, is pretty unhappy with the spiritual leadership of Israel. And he's saying, you guys are completely, completely off base with what my, God Almighty's example is of shepherding Israel. I showed you how, and this is what you do? What is wrong with this picture? So this is a wake-up call for Christian leaders to look in the mirror and say, how can I improve? Yeah. Where am I falling short? What can I do to draw everyone higher to Christ? So in order to get to that, figuring out what we can do better, again, the first point, the first of the six leadership practices was to envision, to see. You got to see something. We're now going to go to the second leadership practice, and this is from Brendan Burchard, What Great Leaders Actually Do. The second E here is enlist. As you're developing this vision, it's not just your vision, you're enlisting other people to share their voices, their perspectives, their dreams, their desires for where you could be going. You know, I think that the most important leadership lesson in the world is that people support what they create. If people are involved in the ideation of a vision, they're involved in creating ideas, of brainstorming, of figuring out what is it we are about? What do we stand for? Where are we going? Great leaders enlist that from other people. They're, they're constantly asking people what they think, how they feel, what, think, what th- things they desire and need. And it's that enlistment that is always going on. A great leader is always enlisting other people to, to, to believe in the dream, to shape the dream, to stay dedicated to the dream. It's an honest and uh, authentic and a genuine desire to see other people be involved in the process. That's such a, an important part, enlisting. So you're, when you enlist, you're actually kind of opening up an invitation, saying, you know, I want you to be a part of this. And j- just a really quick example on the enlistment thing. You know, I used to be the, uh, the director of a, of a Bible youth camp during the summer, for a week during the summer, nine-year-olds to 16, 15 or 16-year-olds, whatever it was, um, or through high school, whatever. Anyway, there, there was one year where there was a little bit of lethargy in the group. They just were kind of like hanging out, and, and, and some things needed to be changed around in the actual setup of the campground, and, and we had talked about it, and a couple of kids had, a, had an idea about it, and, and they were absolutely on the right track with the idea. So we had to decide what to do. So we had a staff meeting. I don't know if you were at the, in the staff for this one or not. I don't remember. But we had a staff meeting, and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here, we know what we have to do, but let's have it be their idea. Okay, so when we presented the issue, we knew that, they, that there was a, little, a few that were vocal, and we said, we're asking you, what do you think? And sure enough, they, they started to talk about it, and I, and I prodded them along. And then I looked around, I looked at the room, and I said, these guys are, are geniuses. 
<laughs> and everybody got so excited and it changed the attitude because what happened is they were enlisted in the process. And then, of course, we needed to get the work done. And they were like, I'll help, I'll help because it was their idea. And, you know, it's just nice. it's an amazing thing that actually really, truly does work. Good quote here from John Maxwell. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. So, so important. So we, we've looked at the bad practice example of the leaders beating down on the flock with force and severity and dominating. And then we looked at the principle, the, the practice rather, of enlisting. Now, God's leadership design. Let's see how this enlisting actually works in the New Testament uh, scenario. First, the Apostle Peter is enlisting other leaders to step up. So you start the enlisting with others who lead. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, I exert the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All right, so Jonathan, there's, there's observations here about what, the, what, what, what Peter is saying, but what's the first thing about how Peter approaches this? Well, Rick, the first is serve not because you must, but out of a willing heart. All right, so he's saying, look, there is necessary service. Don't be all about just, okay, I got to do, it's a job. I got to do a job. It's in something, a job I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to serve the Lord this way, so I will. He's, he said, it's got to be from a willing heart. And he, so what happens if your heart's not willing? Are you not supposed to do it? You're supposed to do it until all of a sudden the excitement returns, and then it gets, it hits your heart. So do it anyway and right. find the heart motivation. You got it. So not feeling it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It simply means you need to to work into feeling it. What, what, it. What's the next point? Serve, not for money, but out of sheer eagerness. You know, the best service ever given at any time under any circumstance is the service given freely with no need for compensation. In any arena, in any place, that is the best kind of service. And that's what he's saying to the elders. And it's interesting, he says, I am exhorting the elders among you as your fellow elder. He's not saying, okay, guys, you know, I'm, I'm the guy, you should be listening to me. He's saying, we are in this together. Here are the things that I think are important for us to do collectively. What's the third point? Serve not in a dominating way, but rather as a living example of Christ-likeness. You know, and that directly flies in the face of the bad practice example we had from Ezekiel 34, where it says at the end, but with force and with severity, you have dominated them. This is simply saying, don't be dominating over others. And these are important principles, Jonathan, because in a lot of Christian leadership, it's not this way. And Rick, I'm wondering, you know, what happens in seminary and divinity school? You know, I've heard some things. I'm I'm not real really sure if they're accurate or not, but they they teach a lot of church history and ceremony, uh, and that leaves 
a lot less room for studying the Bible. Um, what is their motivation in learning these things? And were they called before they went or when they're there? How How is this system, um, how, how did it start? Well, you know what? I don't know any of the answers to any of your questions because <laughs> I've never been to such a place. Uh, haven't haven't gone through that kind of, quote, training, unquote. You know, the training, I think, that we as Christians are supposed to be going to is in the, quote, school of Christ. And that's biblical. It's not going to a school, but it's being schooled in the scriptures, being schooled in that local congregation through that local leadership to follow scriptural principles very clearly and very, very comprehensively. You know, the Apostle Peter uses the word elder. It's kind of like, well, what's an elder? So, so what, it, that, it, it's, a, it's a word that's kind of a comprehensive word. What does it actually mean? Well, Rick, it means older as a noun, a senior. Okay, so you think about that and you think, oh, are you talking about old guys? <laughs> well, actually, Rick, someone can be very mature spiritually, and it really, age is really not a factor, I don't think. It's a matter of being a senior in a spiritual sense, is what you're saying. Absolutely. And a great example of that is Timothy. The Apostle Paul was talking with Timothy, and he he called Timothy his spiritual son. And he said, oh, you know, my son Timothy, do not let them, let no man despise thy youth. Just because you're young doesn't mean you're not mature spiritually. I am telling you, I am trusting you, go do the work I'm giving you to do. Don't let people say, hey, kid, what do you think you're doing? You have God's spirit, go use it in the right way. But don't have an immature spiritual boy try to fit a man's position. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Is, is You're absolutely right on that. In the New Testament, there are several words used to describe um, for shepherding. There's the word for elder, there's the word for pastor, the word for teacher, the word for overseer, and these are all meant to be different ways of describing the same job. Again, Seek Your Rewind, the bonus material, gives lots of examples of these to see how they all fit together, and they're kind of interchangeable. John, and Rick, oh, that's what uh, Peter was saying. I'm an elder, I'm a pastor, teacher, overseer, just like you. Right, right, exactly. Let's go to a sound, another soundbite. This is from uh, Entrepreneur. It's four behaviors you never want to see in a leader. So this is sort of the, the, the other side. We're, you know, we're looking for these six leadership practices. Well, these, these are two of those behaviors you never want to see in a leader. There are four behaviors that are simply never indicative of effective leadership. First, complaining. Not cool. Criticizing another leader in the company of followers undermines the leadership efforts of others as well as yourself. One of the many challenges leaders face is earning the buy-in from his or her people. What they don't need is an associate sharing insults behind their back, because doing so erodes the trust they've worked so hard to build. Second, emotional volatility. Leaders are expected to comport themselves professionally, and that means having the self and social awareness of knowing when to put up, shut up, or blow up. It also requires understanding different personalities. Adapting one style to match the setting and people takes patience and acute observation, but is incredibly important. You know, and I appreciate these two points. Complaining and emotional volatility should not be... Uh, expressed from the standpoint of leadership. Sometimes we get into a position of leadership and we figure we have now permission to be able to complain and to be volatile. And especially in the realm of Christianity, 
That is simply not the case. Because complaining and emotional volatility are ego-driven responses. Christian leadership has no room for such things. So, so Especially if they're doing God's will and not their own. We yeah, should have no ego. Right, right. right. We're, what, what, why, why are you vol- volatile? You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will repay. Let him take care of it. Yes. Romans chapter 12. Paul is teaching uh, on enlisting the gifts of grace, not the gifts of the Spirit. Those are very, very, very different. Those were a temporary kind of a gift. But the gifts of grace were something that have gone on through the ages. Many have these gifts of grace. So in Romans 12, verses 4 to 8, we're going to begin looking at the enlistment process. So remember, we've got envision. That was the beginning. And that's what you see. Enlisting is kind of opening the door and saying, hey, there's room here to to sort of be signed up. Romans 12, let's do 4 and 5 to start. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So it's a very equal looking picture that the Apostle Paul paints. Many members, one body, all the members uh, don't have the same function. The body itself has a single function, but it's made up of all of these other things and their individual functionality. So now here's where you come to the part with the gifts, verses 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his service, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, Jonathan, when you read through all of those things and you think of gifts of grace, now these are not miraculous gifts, but these perhaps are things that you have uh, talent in the area of or, or interest in or experience with. When you see this, what, what do you think of when you look at this, this list of, of these types of gifts? Well, Rick, I, I just love the fact that everyone may, may veer to one or the other, but the neat thing that I've seen blossom with Christian leaders, they now are developing other gifts on top of the ones that they naturally had, and they're, they're expanding their ability to, to serve the Lord. And that should be all of our hope. You know, and and that's a really good observation. And the way that happens, the way you expand your ability is to fulfill what you already can do. Exactly. Because once you do that, it puts you in a different place. And it puts you in a place of strength. And from that strength, you can now branch out into other things. So really, we want to try to find out what are those gifts of grace that might be, you know, things that, that I can contribute and do that. And look, if one of your gifts of grace is prayer, then do it, and yes. do it mightily. So, so it's enlisting. It's, it's getting people to understand that there's openings, if you will. What's the leadership practice here for this segment? Christian leaders must be enlisted for the right reasons and with the right attitude before they can enlist others to follow them in following Christ. Got to have the reasons and attitude first for yourself, and then you can invite others. So... Everything a Christian leader is supposed to do for others is something he should have received for himself. To enlist others is to call them to action. 
What else is needed to elicit a powerful response? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. Leadership is the epitome of a two-way street. A leader can only really be defined as a leader if... There are those who follow and engage. Having a vision and enlisting others in it are powerful practices, but they are not complete. A leader must always embody the vision first and always embody the vision always. So we've got to really understand that leadership means you do it, you think it first, you, 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 you show it first, and then you do it first. Leadership is not, hey, I got this idea, why don't you go do it? <laughs> leadership no. <laughs> leadership no, is no one will do that that's right is 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 only asking others to do the kind of thing that you are, are are willing and able to do doesn't mean that you have to have talents in every area but it means that you have to be extending yourself so others can say if they will extend themselves that far i can certainly extend myself this far let's get now back to another bad practice example in relation to leadership uh, and Jonathan, the question for this one verse is going to be, what's the resulting consequence of this bad shepherding? Ezekiel chapter, uh, chapter 34, let's just do uh, verse 5. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. So what happened? As a result of the shepherding, what's the end result for the sheep? dun da 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 they they were <laughs> devoured. <laughs> yes. The shepherd's primary responsibility is to protect the sheep. And what's happening here is they're not able to do it. They're not doing it. Well, Rick, we're talking about bad practice examples. Yes. Well, here's one that uh, touches the world today. Okay. Uh, we have an article from The Spectator, January 14th, 2017, uh, by Damian Thompson. Why more and more priests can't stand Pope Francis, he said. Ouch. He has been uh, pigeonholed as a fearless reformer, but questions are arising about his judgment. And on January 2nd in the Vatican, they published that uh, Pope Francis um, to the world's bishops, he reminded everyone to have zero tolerance towards child abuse. And hey, Rick, that, that, that's a good thing. Uh, amen. But the challenge is that in 2012, the previous Pope, Pope Benedict, stripped um, one of the priests of his faculties because of child abuse. But in 2014, Damien Thompson said, they restored him by Pope Francis, who warned him to stay away from minors. So here we have a leader allowing a predator back among the flock. Not a good choice. No, and, 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 and you know, there's always two sides to every story. And, you know, you're, you're giving a, a report of a report on the story. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the point is we cannot have a double standard. There, there cannot be a double standard. You know, there can't be an appearance of godliness, 
but behind the scenes, well, you know, just make sure you're, 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 you're okay and, and we'll be okay. We cannot have that in Christianity. So whatever the circumstances really are there and whatever the, the, the deviousness really is there, look, God is the judge. God is the judge. And you can see that he's judging the, the leaders in Ezekiel with, in, in a very harsh way. So if we think for a second that our Christian leadership can get away with things, forget about it. So we had better be looking for that highest, highest standard. A little bit disturbing, but thank you for that, Jonathan. Um, it just gives, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. It gives you, it's real. It gives you a sense of the reality of today. Let's go to our next, our third leadership practice. We had envision, which is to see. We had enlist, which is to open up to, to others. The third one is, well, I'll let him tell you. This is from uh, Brendan Burchard. The third thing that great leaders are always doing is embodying their message. They stand for something. There's a congruence between who they are, the behaviors that they're enacting into the world, how they treat people, what they're working towards, and what they say is important, right? That, that's, it's just basic line, it's, it's integrity. You know, it's a congruence believe between what we say we're after and how we are behaving. And there's nothing more important, is there? You know, it, it's like, it's that old message. It's like, you don't believe the message unless you believe the messenger. So as leaders, we have to stand for and demonstrate and show what we are really believing in. I mean, are we really, are there, is our team and the people around us seeing us work for it, sweat for it, sacrifice for it, champion it over and over and over again, even when it's hard, even when there's conflict, even when people are pissed, even when people want to quit, are you still there? That's a powerful, powerful description of embodiment of leadership, of the principles, and and doing the work first, you know, and, and you know, Jonathan, and I, you know, I'm, I'm I, I love studying leadership, mm-hmm, and I know you do. One of the things uh, that I've really that's really been helpful for me is to always try to show up first and be the last to leave, and just it's a little thing, but it gives you a sense of there's something more there, and just it's having the integrity that matches the message. That's a true leader. Good quote from Arnold Glasser. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Comment first, then we'll we'll do the quote. You know, I I loved what he said. You you demonstrate, you show, even when it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) You don't give up. You don't let it go. Now the quote from Arnold Glasgow. A good leader takes away more than his share of the blame, a little less than his share of the credit. Okay, so he takes more than a share of the blame and less than a share of the credit. Why? Because it's not about the leader. And folks, look. That if you're in a place where the Christian leadership is not about you as the flock, then you have to ask yourself, honestly and truly, why am I still there? Because it's not about making the leader look good. It's about helping the flock be better. That's it. That's it. That's it. God's leadership design. Let's take a look at that. Christian leadership is built upon the embodiment of, of Christ in your life. That's how Christian leadership is built. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and verse 17, and this is from the Lamsa translation. We don't normally use this, but this just expressed this, these, these words very well. Remember those who are your leaders, those who have spoken the word of God to you. Mark the completeness of their works and imitate their faith. Listen to your spiritual leaders and obey them, for they are watchful guardians of your souls as one who must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, 
for this is unprofitable for you. I, I love the tenderness of how it, it, it says, you know, mark the completeness of their works and imitate their faith. In other words, observe the leader. Don't just go and sit there and listen to what they say and say, wow, that was a great message. That must be a great leader. How are they living? How is that message being reflected in who they are? And if it is being reflected, the scripture says, imitate their faith because they're accountable. And you want to imitate their imitation of Christ because that's a scriptural way to go about things. So it's really a powerful way to look at things, to embody the message. You want to be the, you want to be the epistle, a living epistle in front of others just by being. And that, that's, a, that's a great, great challenge. Christian leadership is defined by what we do, the attitude with which we do it, and our words. So it, 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 that's embodiment. It's everything. Let's go to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to take, uh, again, selected verses, verses 17 through 19 first, and then we're going to jump down to 27 and 28. Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church and said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. So Paul is basically not afraid to say, you've seen what I do, and you've seen how I do it. So he, he's not, and, and you know, I, that's, a, that's a wonderful, wonderful example of courage in Christ, to say, I want assess how I've treated you and how I've handled you. And let's finish up those verses. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he's saying, I told you everything that I, that, that I, that I could tell you about the purpose of God, and now you as shepherds need to do that for others as well. So he's empowering those others to, to embody to embody the message just the way he did. Paul displays within himself what he wants others to display within themselves. So what's the leadership practice for this particular, uh, um, uh, this, this third practice before we go on to the fourth one? Christian leadership is not about having eloquence or being inspirational. Rather, it stands squarely on the shoulders of selfless, daily, God-driven action and perspiration. Yeah, when you say, oh, we want eloquence and inspiration, or do you want God-driven action and perspiration? And the answer yeah. is, we should take the God-driven action and perspiration over the eloquence and the inspiration. Big time, big time. Because that's where the embodiment of the message comes from. Jonathan, uh, Trish has uh, walked in, and she's got a question, comment, or something for us. Trish, hello. Hi. Uh, hello. Um, well, I got a, a comment and a question. Go ahead. Well, and just listening to you and what you're saying about these things in vision and list and embody, I mean, Jesus was such, you know, was the best leader and example of all these things. Um, he embodied the message that he gave, and he was God-driven in action and perspiration. You couldn't have a better example of someone who lived what he was saying mm -hmm. so that's very uh it's just a great to see that you know these leadership qualities he had them all yep. so my question is <clears throat> what about me 
I'm a sheep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so I, I hear these things, envision, enlist, embody. I mean, I'm assuming that as a sheep, I, I should be doing these things myself, right? Right. Well, okay. That, that, that's, a, that's a really important question. And here's the thing. As a sheep, and there are few leaders and there are many sheep. As a sheep, you should not be sheepish. Okay, but we need to put these principles of leadership to work in our lives because each of us has opportunity to leave on a micro level. It could be the people that you, you work with. It could be your children or your grandchildren or your friend or the sister that's having a trial that you're talking to. All of these principles apply to you as well. And maybe you're not in front of a congregation and maybe you're not the teacher, but you can take these principles and change others' lives by applying them in a Christ-like fashion. So, Trish, awesome, awesome question, because it's about everybody. And, you know, right now we are focusing on those those who lead, but everything applies here to every member of the, the potential member of the body of Christ. Great point, Rick. It is really a great point. Jonathan, let's go to our next bad practice example. We're going to try to get our, our fourth um, practice begun here in this segment because there's six practices and only five segments. You got to do something to squeeze them in. <laughs> so this next bad practice example, the question is going to be, in what condition did these shepherds leave the sheep? Ezekiel, back to Ezekiel 34, verse 6. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek for them. And Rick, uh, I have another example of a bad um, practice Okay, uh, from um, today's uh, world. Uh, this is from the New York Times, August 8th, 2018, uh, written by Lori Goodstein. The lead pastor of the entire board of elders resigned on Wednesday night from the Willow Creek Community Church, one of the nation's most influential evangelical congregations, saying that they had made a mistake by failing to believe the women who accused the Reverend Bill Hybels, the church's founding pastor of sexual harassment. So uh, Reverend Heather Larson was the one that stepped down and she stepped down because trust was broken by the leadership and it doesn't return quickly, she quotes. And this uh, original founding Reverend was accused of several things in this article of touching, kissing, uh, groping, and even had a lengthy affair with, with a woman at one point. And this Willow Creek Community Church is the country's fifth largest megachurch, Rick. So again, another example just reported on just a, a month ago where somebody in a position of leadership assumes the leadership is for their benefit and it begins to assume that they are above the rules that apply to everyone. And, you know, that's one of the dangers because with, with, with great power and, you know, there's a measure of power that comes with leadership comes great, 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 great responsibility. And we need to be very careful with that. And that's a sad story. That's mm -hmm. a sad story. And again, we don't know what the, what the whole end result of that is. That's what the report said, reading a report. The fact is that these things happen with greater and greater frequency, and it's deeply troubling that they happen within what's called Christianity. Folks, we got to think about this. Let's go to our next, thank you, Jonathan, for again depressing me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> let's, go to our, let's go to our next, what leaders actually do uh, practice from Brendan Burchard. 
Number fourth, what we have to move on to is now empowering people. Empowerment means we give people the decision-making authority and the trust to be able to work towards this vision, to allow them the autonomy, the strength, the input, to, to equip them with the knowledge, the skills, the abilities, the technologies, the tools, the training, to allow them to succeed as they march with us to achieving something extraordinary and phenomenal. That's vital. That's what empowerment is about. And a lot of leaders who come in with a big vision, they get everyone excited, you know, they, they, they seem like they, they want everybody involved and they do a great job of standing for it, but they don't equip their teams to kick some butt. They never get to that place of real stride, of, of, of real momentum. And that happens all the time. Training other people and equipping them with everything they need to succeed has to be a vital practice of every great leader. And again, it doesn't happen just once. So uh, wonderful, wonderful thoughts here. And, and, you know, after that example you gave, it, I'm listening to him talk about empowering. You know, we are supposed to empower as leaders those who follow, not overpower them. We are Ooh. supposed to empower them. And, yes. and that's where leadership oftentimes gets turned backwards. So let's look at God's leadership design for Christianity. Christian leadership has the sober responsibility of empowerment for all. Ephesians, and this, this also fits with Trisha's question earlier. Ephesians four eleven through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And we're going to continue this verse in the next segment, but you know, notice that all these positions are for the purpose of creating a mature man. Not each individual person being mature, but a mature body of Christ, a collectively complete individually called body of Christ, not mature men, plural, each standing on his own. No, no, no. It's something bigger and stronger and better than that. Next segment, we're going to really touch on how this all works. So, Jonathan, at this point, as we wrap this segment up, it seems likely everything we have seen so far about leadership is about giving, showing, and helping, <laughs> just like Jesus. We earlier spoke of enlisting followers. What's the difference between that and empowering them? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. To enlist is to get someone's attention so they may be active in a cause. To empower is to take that enlistment and give it tools and direction and permission to be fully engaged in the work of the cause. Empowerment is a powerful application of our Christian liberty, though it is not without boundaries. See, everything always has boundaries, and we have to be really clear on the boundaries of empowerment. You know, you know when you say you want to empower people, you don't want them out of control. 
You want them to be empowered toward the cause. That's what empowerment is for. So let's continue the empowerment conversation from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And Rick, the context is we're, we're focusing on being equipped, getting the saints equipped. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So this is giving us the the parameters. Remember, everything has boundaries. This is giving us the parameters of the empowerment process. We're not supposed to be children, not supposed to be tossed about by winds of doctrine and all trickery of men, but we are supposed to speak the truth with love, and we're supposed to grow up, not to just be strong and powerful, but in all aspects into the head, which is Christ. Those are the parameters of the empowerment. So growing up in Christ, even for leaders, is to be empowered into a strong, functioning part that contributes its value mightily to the whole. And and Jonathan, that's the key of what Christian leadership is there for. And again, if you think that Christian leadership is, hey, I want to be the leader in my church because that seems like the best job and everybody respects the leader and, you know, they seem to wear the best clothes and all of that, forget about it. That's that's exactly it. That is pagan. I don't know how else to say it. That's not what Christian leadership is. That is the exact opposite of Christian leadership. Let's go back. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And Rick, that's what our theme text showed us. Right. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. So in other words, the greatest position in Christianity is the one of greatest humility and service. Amen. That's the way Jesus designed it. That's the way God initially designed it, and that's the way we're supposed to follow it. Let's get back to verse 16 from Ephesians chapter 4. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That is one of the greatest empowerment verses I've ever read. The whole body being fitted and held together by what each and every joint supplies. Every little piece makes the whole body work according to the proper working. So if each piece works properly, the body is strong. We And as a, a Christian leader, needs to empower the brotherhood to be able to be strong in the body of Christ. This lesson is simple, be empowered together. What's the leadership practice here, Jonathan? Christian leadership finds spiritually and scripturally sound ways to empower the brotherhood so that the one body of Christ can in all ways be unified and strong in Jesus. Scripturally and spiritually sound ways to empower the brotherhood. And and, and Jonathan, I want to go off on a slight tangent here for a moment because sometimes what we try to do as Christian leaders is we want to excite the brotherhood. That's not empowering them. And sometimes when you try to get someone excited, it becomes kind of a gimmicky thing. That's not empowerment. See, the empowerment, the scripturally and spiritually sound ways toward empowerment will produce their own kind of excitement, oftentimes not up front, but later 
as the maturity begins to grow. So there's a big difference between getting people all excited and giving people true spiritual empowerment. That's Christian leadership. That's what we should be striving for. That's what we should be wanting to be. If you are in a position of Christian leadership, you should be working on how do I help these others become so much better, so much stronger, so much more capable. It's an amazing thing. It's, to me, this is just thorough inspiration when you see how God laid this out. He's pretty smart. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right, let's go to our next bad practice example again. And again, the question, Jonathan, at the end of these verses, verses 7 through 8 of Ezekiel 34, the question is going to be, what is God's response to the shepherds who are not shepherding? So Ezekiel 34, 7 and 8. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field, for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Something's wrong with this picture. So, Jonathan, what's God's response here? Well, how is how, how is he handling the, the the shepherding performance that he is looking at? Well, basically, you blew it. You you <laughs> you you left them alone. I commanded you. I showed you, and and you. You didn't do anything to protect my flock. So God does something here in Ezekiel 34 that's critical for leadership. And it's interesting because as we go through these examples and things, what we see is God showing us how to do the things that leaders are supposed to do. Listen to this next leadership practice. Uh, It is the uh, fifth leadership practice. And just see how it dovetails exactly with what God was doing in these verses. Then we have to evaluate. It's one of the hardest things that we do in all of leadership. To evaluate the key people who are with us, their contributions, evaluate their skills, evaluate their needs, and to evaluate the ethics that are going on in our organization, in our team. Are we being, are we being excellent and are we being ethical is the questions that we're evaluating on, right? Are we being excellent and ethical as we are progressing, which I guess would be the third question. Are we progressing? If not, why? Are we being ethical? If not, why? If our people are not being excellent? If not, why? These are the questions that we have to ask as this practice. And evaluation, it's like every day as a leader. You know, you've got to keep your thumb on the pulse to see, hey, how are we doing? Are we alive? Are we moving forward? That evaluation also brings up the incredible challenge that we face as leaders, which is to give honest, direct, immediate, constructive feedback to those people who are trying to influence and lead. So that is a critical part of leadership, and that's one of the hardest parts, is the evaluation. But, you know, in in Ezekiel 34, it's simple. Hear the word of the Lord. Whenever you hear the, thus saith the Lord, or hear the word of the Lord, what you have is God's evaluation, God's judgment, God's observation, God's proclamation. That's all coming from this evaluation place. So when we evaluate, so first of all, we have envision, that's to see. Then we have enlist, that is opening the opportunity. Then we have embody, that's putting the opportunity on display. So then we have empower, which means so others can be included in it. Then once we get others really included, we have to be able to evaluate, and that's to challenge them because it's about their growth. It's about their growth. It's about them being better, period. Good quote from Steve Jobs. 
Be a yardstick of quality. Some people aren't used to an environment where excellence is expected. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> you look around, and, and you know when you think about service in places, a lot of places, and you know, so you go to a, you know, to check out someplace, and the the person's just on their phone, and just just a minute, and they they got to finish texting whomever they're texting, and you think, wait a minute. My dad didn't teach me to do that. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And it's really sad. So, you know, we have to be able to evaluate and because that helps us to have high standards. So God's leadership design in relation to evaluation here, I think, is, is simple. Evaluation is for leaders. Leaders need to be evaluated, but it's also for those who have been empowered to follow. Evaluating followers, that's hard because you don't want to offend them. You want to lift them up, but they need the evaluation in order to be able to be lifted up. Honesty and clarity are absolutes in this very difficult part of leadership. Hebrews 5, 12 to 14 is a good example of using that, that difficult evaluation for the good of others. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So there is a great parenting lesson that the apostle is teaching in Hebrews 5. And he's saying, look, guys, look, brothers and sisters, this at this time when you ought to be at a level of teaching, you need to have someone teach you. There's something not good about this picture. You need the elementary principles of God all over again. What's happened here? We're going to need to re and you know, here's the thing. He's not saying you're out of here. He's just saying, okay, didn't take the way it should have. Let's do it again. And and you know, so there's there is a criticism, if you will, but there is a love and a compassion because he's not saying you are stupid because you didn't get it. He's simply saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you again. And I, and I think there's power. There's power in that evaluation, and there's necessity in that evaluation as well. And he gave him the equation who, because of practice, have their senses trained. So he is encouraging, okay, it's time to get down to the you know the where the rubber meets the road right okay so uh, good really good you know because of practice you know and, and and a great leader once told me that practice you know you heard the, the phrase practice makes perfect mm -hmm. he said that's not really true he says perfect practice makes perfect in other words practicing the highest standard not just practicing but practicing the very highest that's what gets you where you want to go and nice. that's and that's what the apostle paul is saying I'm not going to water the standards down because you didn't live up to them. I'm going to come down to your level to help you move up to where those standards are. Perfect, perfect. practice makes perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let, let's go to uh, the uh, four behaviors you never want to see in a leader. We talked about two of them in the in last segment or two segments ago. I don't, I don't remember. This is from Entrepreneur. Uh, these are the last two of those four things leaders should not do. And these are, these are kind of interesting in this evaluation discussion. Third, play nice. Befriending employees is not priority number one on a leader's radar because decisions must be made that, well, won't please everybody. Remember this, 
People need a leader, not a friend. Fourth, micromanagement. Starting out as an entrepreneur, you will wear all the hats, but as your company grows, so should you, out of all of those hats. It's not easy removing the tactical, operational, and strategic hats that an entrepreneur initially wears, and then scaling back to just one or two. So he's saying, don't play nice. And we we need to discuss that one, (laughs) because as a Christian, we're supposed to be nice. (laughs) Okay? And he says, you know, micromanagement is also very difficult. But, you know, Jonathan, in the don't play nice part of it, I think what he's what what it's coming down to is you can't be afraid to point out the things that might be difficult. It's the difference between and we did a whole podcast on this and 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 folks maybe you want to go back to this podcast. The difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacekeeping is just keeping everybody's feathers from being ruffled. Peacemaking is pushing through the hard things to actually find real peace. I think that's what not playing nice as a Christian leader is. It's being a peacemaker and doing it with the mind of Christ as we go. So the apostle shows us the importance of honest assessment. Now, he, we already saw it in Hebrews 5. Now, in this next verse, notice he doesn't just tell them what's wrong. This is going to be in 1 Corinthians. He's going to tell them why it's wrong. And, and before we get into this, Jonathan, I just want to quote another, another leader that, I, that has taught me. Uh, he, he always said, you have to be specific to be dynamic. Generalities don't bring people to some place, to some epiphany, to some change in behavior or change in thought. You have to be specific to be dynamic. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. And we're going to stop right in the middle of verse 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. So that's the what. I could, same thing as in Hebrews. You guys aren't grown up. So the interesting thing is the Apostle Paul didn't just pick on one group of Christians. He was honest with all of them. And when there was a lack, he pointed it out. And here's the what. You're, not, you're, you're, you're infants in Christ you still need the milk of the word, not the meat of the word. You can't handle it. It's too much for you to digest because you're still fleshly. Now comes the why. How come it is? How do I know that you are such such immature Christians at this point? Well, here's what he says. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? So he's saying, you guys, with your, with your divisions among you, with your judgments against one another, you're showing me that you're children. And we can't have this because this is the body of Christ and the standards are much higher. And I'm not going to just sit here and say, oh, it's okay for you guys. No, he's saying it's not okay. We need to rise up. Perfect practice makes perfect. What's the leadership practice here, Jonathan, for this uh, segment? Well, Rick, evaluation of Jesus' followers must come through truth, humility, and foundational desire, their best interest, and only for their best interest. So the evaluation part is not to make the leader look good. It's not to feed the leader's ego. It's not so that the leader can be tough and strong and and make a statement. It's for the purpose, the sole purpose of the spiritual well-being of 
those in the flock. And if you are making an evaluation for any other reason than that, then you would better reconsider because you're not walking and working along spiritual lines. So, Jonathan, here it is. Any evaluation a Christian leader gives... Play nice. Play nice. Um, (laughs) That was wrong there. Let's try that again. Any evaluation a Christian leader uh, gives should never be based on their own feelings, but on what is needed by the follower. Leadership practices are varied and difficult. How do we frame each and every one of them properly? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. If you ever looked around you, you'll notice precious few real leaders. In Christianity, it is no different. The bottom line is that a Christian leader only exists for the benefit and encouragement of those they are responsible for. If we accept this simple premise, then our leadership can grow. And Jonathan, I want to say it again. A Christian leader only exists for the benefit and encouragement of those that they are responsible for. That's your sole reason for leading. And if you try to draw gain from them, or you try to draw the feeding of your own ego from them, or you try to to have a better status because of them, whatever it is, that is not, that is not Christian leadership. And we have to be so clear on this, Jonathan. It's too, too, too important. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. His example is serve. Right. That's your job. Yeah. And he washed his disciples' feet the night before he was crucified for their benefit. That is exactly what we're talking about here. Let's get to um, our next bad leadership practice example. And again, the question here is going to be, what is uh, God's ultimate consequence for these shepherds? And now we're in Ezekiel 34. Let's do verses 9 and 10. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. So what is God saying? What, what, what's the, the ultimate consequence here? Well, they, they're taken away from their position because they didn't follow through. They, they were judged unworthy uh, of the position they were in. And Rick, I want to transition to uh, more bad uh, practice examples of today. Great. You encourage me every time you do this. Thanks so much. This is titled, Churches Struggle with Their Hashtag Me Too Moment. The Christian Science Monitor on April 20th, 2018, uh, written by Harry Brunus. While the Hashtag Me Too movement has revealed widespread abuse from Hollywood to government to business, mounting elite... uh, Allegations of sexual misconduct within houses of worship and religion, religious communities, point to somehow perhaps the most appalling, a breach of special trust. In the early 2000s, when the tragedy of the Catholic Church was just starting to emerge, Protestants, for the most part, 
had no clue that this is a serious an issue in their own churches, uh, Brunus um, wrote. And during the past year, many women and even some men across the country have used the online hashtag church to to tell their story of past abuse. They've recounted how men in power use their um, roles as pastors to manipulate and coerce um, the ones that were most vulnerable. And many were underage teenagers. Um, it's just heartbreaking. It, it, it is heartbreaking. And, and you know, we, we, there's been a lot about sexual abuse. And it's not just on that area. You know, it, there is financial abuse. There is emotional abuse. There's the, the, the abuse of just plain old power within Christianity. And folks, wherever that exists, that is not the Christianity that we should be seeking after. We just have to be careful to run away from those things. Find And remember, leadership is supposed to come from within. We started with that right at the very beginning of this whole podcast. That's the scriptural way. So why don't we take a thought here and say maybe we should go back to the way it was at the beginning. Jonathan, Trish is back, and I think she has another question. Yeah, I have a couple questions, um, especially along this conversation. My my question is, whose flock is it anyway? <laughs> you know, is it the pastor's flock or is it Christ's flock? And a pastor, are they part of the same flock or is it a career? You know, I, I have a book... Well, in the past is called uh, Careers for Dummies, and you can look up pastor, and it gives you all the credentials that you can have to become a pastor. It has nothing to do with religion. <laughs> okay. All right. Whose flock is it? it? It's the flock of Christ. Absolutely, positively. The Those who shepherd the flock, thank you, Trish, those who shepherd the flock are members of the flock that are entrusted with the additional responsibility to shepherd toward Christ, for Christ, by the grace of Christ, nothing more, nothing less. And, and look, you know, I don't want to necessarily get into the career thing, but pastoring, if you want it to be a career, then make it a career of volunteerism. Make it a career where you do it only to give and not to get. That's how to make pastoring a career. Okay, we'll just leave it at that at this point. Uh, Jonathan, let's get to our, our, our final um uh, sound leadership practice from Brendan uh, Burchard. And that final thing, that sixth thing, that thing that makes the magic, encourage. You know, to encourage, to be the champion, to be the cheerleader, to be the person always motivating, inspiring, uplifting people. To, to never just have, you know, a lot of leaders, they, they get their pet projects and they get excited about it and they disappear. No, man, you need to encourage on a continual basis. You need to light people up. You need to have it in your heart and in your soul that desire to want to lift people up, you know, to lift them up and lift them off their butts, to get them excited about things, you know? If, if you can't motivate them with, with your passion and your example, then what are we doing? You have to encourage people when this gets hard. You know, when you're working towards a mission, it gets hard. And longer term, the more people involved, the bigger the organization, the bigger the vision, the bigger the dream, the longer the duration to accomplish it, the, the more struggle, the more challenge, the more conflict, the more discord, the more disappointment, the more frustration, the more doubt, the more delay. All those things happen. And the way they have to deal with it is always being that encouraging voice. So encouragement is the last of these six. There's envision, enlist, embody, empower, 
evaluate, and encourage. And, and Jonathan, we, we oftentimes think of leadership when we think of the encouragement part. We and, do. You're right. And it is a practice, but it is not a practice by itself. Mm. It is one small piece of many, many, many other things. Good quote from Harvey S. Firestone. The growth and development of people is the highest calling of leadership. And that really, you know what? And the growth and development of individuals in Christ is, what a privilege. is the high calling. That's what it's called. It's the, it's the upward call. It's the high calling. Developing in Christ. And we need leadership to do that. And there's nothing wrong with leadership as long as the leadership is scripturally sound and scripturally based in following after Jesus, period. So, Jonathan, in God's leadership de- uh, design, we have encouragement written all over the New Testament. So we're going to suggest seven ways to encourage as we implement the six practices of leadership. I don't know. We're going to see if we can fit these in <laughs> to this right. program here. But what's, what's the first way? Honesty. It gives peace of mind. Verse? Verse Peter one twenty two. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So our spiritual leadership begins, a way to give the encouragement is to have, to give it with honesty. And see, when you are thoroughly honest with others, and they know you're thoroughly honest, even if they don't like what you're going to say, they get have peace of mind. That's right. Because they know it's honest. They know it's not egotistical. It's honest. So that's a great place to begin with the encouragement equation. What, what else? What's next? Delegation. It makes room for others to grow. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You know, delegation uh, is, in my own pathway, I used to be afraid of delegation because I was, you know, I used to be afraid of losing control of things. I started to grow up and get gray hair and get tired and get worn out. <laughs> and I realized that delegation was the, the way to go. And then once I started to learn how to do it, it became one of the most exciting parts of the whole process. Because what you're doing is you're empowering others. You're handing things over and saying, run with this. I know you can do it. And then the, the key to delegation is to let go and watch. And, and, and encourage. It's an awesome, awesome thing. What's the third encouragement prospect here? Communication. It gives others insight and voice. First Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, Communication is not just speaking. It's not just words coming from me to you or direction coming from me to you, but it's me being able to listen and absorb. It gives others insight by what you tell them and what you show them, and it gives them voice because communication is a two-way street. And that is a huge way to encourage because when somebody feels like they're heard, Mm. they're with you. You got it. They are with you. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Let's go on to uh, number four of these seven points of encouragement for for leaders in Christianity. Humor. It opens the door to joy and productivity. John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be made full. You know, there's not a lot of humor spoken about in the New Testament. You know, uh, you know, it says that their laughter will be turned to mourning and all of those things. So <laughs> That's true. I didn't want to quote those verses here. But, you know, humor, there's something powerful about it because it reminds those that you lead that we're all human. And sometimes laughing breaks the tension, and as long as it's done in a, in a proper and respectful way, it can really be a powerful tool to help bring, bring people higher. What's the next one, number five? Commitment. It shows others the way. Romans 12, 11, and 12. Not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. So commitment, and again, that really embodies embodiment, you know, the, the embody number three E of the, the sound leadership practices. When we are committed to whatever the cause is, and for Christians it's the cause of Christ, and we live that commitment, other people have a much easier time figuring out, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, maybe I'll just follow them because they know where they're going, and I've been watching, and they are heading in the right direction. What did, what did the Apostle Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So commitment is a powerful, powerful thing. Number six. Attitude. It sets a level of expectation and response. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 5 through 7. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, if we can, in the leadership equation of Christianity, have the attitude of agape, selfless love. And Jonathan, that's a great test for leadership. Look at the leader that you are following. Is it all about them and what they can get and how they can look and how how you know how many cars they can have or you know the power that they can they can they can they can hold or is it about you, the follower? Like Trish said, the sheep. That's the attitude, and it sets a level of expectation and response. When you are thoroughly dedicated to others' benefit, they respond and want to be dedicated to help you help others as well. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Number seven. Creativity. It gives others permission to innovate. Matthew 25, 20 and 21. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So this is interesting because in this parable, you know, the, each of the, the servants is given, you know, the, the, the talents and, you know, one, five, one, five, and ten or, or whatever the numbers is, uh, numbers are, uh, one, two, and five, whatever they are. And, and they're, they're not told specifically what to do. They're told multiply, go to work, figure it out. So they're told to be creative. Now, obviously creative within the parameters for us of Christianity and Christian principles and godly righteousness. But when you, talk to others that you are leading about creativity it helps them to be innovators and you know sometimes the same words or the same actions don't exactly resonate with others they may come up with better words or actions than you awesome that's what we want what's our final leadership principle here jonathan 
Spiritual encouragement is the lifeblood of Christian leadership. With it, others trust, engage, hope, plan, work, and grow. Encouragement is a breeding ground for maturity. And when you think about Christian leadership, it should always be in the context of developing the maturity of the body of Christ. That's it. There is not, really, there's nothing else that's important. It's the maturity of the body of Christ. That means envisioning what things need to be done. That means being able to enlist others into the process. That means embodying, putting on display what this vision looks like in your own life. That means empowering those that are around you, including them, giving them opportunities, saying, here, here are the tools. Go do something with it. That means having the strength and the courage to evaluate, to challenge, not because your ego says, I got to tell them who's boss, but so for their own good. That means to encourage, to build, to help them see and understand the important parts of their life so they can become stronger in Christ, so they can contribute to the body as one joint contributes to the other. So the body of Christ, not me, not you, but we become strong as the body. That's what leadership should be about in Christianity. Nothing less than that. And folks, if you're following something different, you might want to reconsider. You should reconsider because it's about following Christ. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, I hope you've enjoyed being with us today. To me, this is one of the most important and inspiring subjects we could talk about to encourage you to find the Christian leaders that can bring you closer to God. Until next week, leadership, think about it. And folks, look, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, in Google Plays, in Stitcher, and whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about do tithes and offerings belong in Christianity? Talk to you next week.